Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, James McAvoy chats his upcoming West End show. Serrano de Bergerac, Josh O'Connor talks playing Prince Charles for the brand new third season of Netflix's The Crown. Boxing heavyweight Tyson Fury tells us about his new autobiography Behind the Mask. Plus Tim Minchin, Griffiths Jones, Jennifer Lee, Chris Buck and loads more great guests. Enjoy. He's one of the finest British actors working in Hollywood who can turn his hand to just about anything. Well, bored with his hands, now he's turning his nose to one of the most famous hooters in entertainment. Soon to be seen in Serrano de Bergerac at the Playhouse Theatre in London, let's say a big bonjour to the lovely James McAvoy. Good morning, James. Thank you for calling me lovely. Well, you are lovely. You're really kind. You're a lovely man. I'll come back. Uh, Serrano de Bergerac, Playhouse Theatre, Charing Cross, London. Okay, um, so, Gerard, what do we advise people to do who, who, who need to get their head around this before they come and see it. Do we advise them to go um, Gerard Depardieu or do we go Steve Martin? Uh, Steve Depardieu would be the way to do it. Watch the first half of the other one and the first half of the other one. Uh, I think don't go to see any of them. This play is the original sort of of tragedy rom-com from which we've had all these love triangles and movies about love triangles and plays about love triangles. This is the thing that started it and sort of which all of them base themselves on. So I think you're going to look at it and you're going to feel quite at home. Um, It's very funny. It's very romantic. It's very sad. Uh, It's quite shocking at times as well. Um, And what's really, really special about it is that it's, well, it is a rom-com, well, it is a a love triangle. It's also about living through your life when you're very, very different when you have something that marks you out is very different and some people think is abhorrent or ugly to look at or or whatever um and i don't think i think you can go and watch those things and it can prep you for it but i think actually it's a pretty timeless tale that uh had you no experience of the story or if you've got no experience of theater even you're going to come in and, and get everything out of it you right know? what is the gist for people who don't know of the Serrano gist the is uh we live in this this society which is obsessed with words and at the same time, um, you have a very, very, almost a, a genius of of, of uh, words. It's too early for me to use my words. Um, and uh, he's called Cyrano de Bergerac. He's got an exceptionally gifted, intelligent, dynamic and beautiful cousin called Roxanne, who he's in love with, but secretly. He also has a massive disfigurement on his face, which is his nose. Um, and that kind of stops him from doing anything about it. A beautiful young boy comes in called Christian. He falls in love with her, but he does not have the smart and he does not have the words so uh, Cyrano makes the kind of strange decision to uh, feed him and teach him uh, how to woo her with with Cyrano's intellect but of course in doing that Roxanne falls in love with the mind of this young boy and kind of falls it's in love with Cyrano it's a beautiful metaphor and, isn't it isn't it it's the it? best ever how old is the story it is 
ba- well, it's based on a real guy, Cyrano de Bergerac, who was around in the 16th century. Um, uh, but Rostand, the French playwright who wrote it, he wrote it in the 1830s, I think. Um, and then our, uh, our writer, Martin Crimp, has done the adaptation. He went back to the original French, but he spent a lot of time in rap battles and poetry slams. And he's imbued the original French with a kind of real urban and kind of very new air so it should be it's not what you're going to expect if you expect to come and see something that feels like West End theatre in inverted commas uh, you're not going to get it and um, I think anybody who's never been to the theatre before they're going to be in the level playing field with the Fur Coat Brigade that have been to the theatre many times you know what I mean you're going to I love the way you're selling this is cool yeah no it should it's be really it should be cool, cool. And, and I can tell you're excited about it you've got that little twinkle in I'm your very, eye I'm very very excited about it I'm, I've worked with Jamie Lloyd this director yeah. four times now and he always does something quite bold and exciting the last time we worked together the most bold and exciting thing to do was just do the plays that should be done because it was such a mental play this time you're doing something that has got a lot of cliches in it and a lot of those cliches get in the way of the fact that it has got a timeless and just truly unique exploration of the human experience and very very funny as well um, but the cliches can kind of get in the way of it you kind of start to go oh, I know what I'm watching it's, it's theatre it doesn't need to feel like that so he stripped away a ton of the cliches that you usually associate with something like Cyrano de Bergerac and he's left the core elements that are really responsible for making this play endure for a couple of hundred years good sell yes, very good sell wow. James have you, have you done this before yeah. once once <laughs> I might have been on the radio last week Last Monday. Well, it's very good. <laughs> well done. All right. Um, and apparently, there's loads of uh, there's loads of incentives for people to come, other than the content itself. Other than the content itself, uh, we have got uh, fifteen thousand fifteen pound tickets. Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. Of me. our uh, theatre tickets to give away. Uh, the next set of fifteen pound tickets will be available on the second of December. If you're under thirty, if you're on government benefits, if you are a key worker, so if you're a uh, well, you key workers know what you are. But um, uh, then you qualify for these £15 tickets. Uh, we're basically trying to remove, you know, there's many barriers to, that stop people yeah. going to the theatre. There's cultural barriers, but there's also financial barriers. We're trying to take away the financial barrier a little bit and get people who either usually can't come or think it's not for them or just can't come because of money. We're trying to remove that barrier for them. Also, there's uh, certain state schools and community groups uh, qualify for completely free tickets. And if you want to see if you qualify, you can go to atgtickets.com forward slash Cyrano 15. You are on it today, aren't you? I know, mate. Uh, the, and the only danger of this whole scenario is that it's such a funky production. If people are going to the theatre for the first time they see yours, then they need to, they're, they're going to think all theatres are like that. And it's not, unfortunately. They've got to keep funky, man. They've got to stay funky. Yeah. Um, somebody once said to me, uh, this is a total tangent, but they said to me, uh, I said, how are you doing today? He said, ah, you know, I just try to rub my funk on it each day. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I'm keeping that. Anyway, so we're trying to rub our funk all over theatre. Um, uh, yeah, well, look, if you come and see something that feels different and feels quite challenging and, and, and challenging the usual norms of theatre and stuff, just seek that out next time. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to go to the same places. The West End can be an exciting place. It can also be a place where you see a lot of stuff that you've been seeing for decades and decades and decades. And there's a place for that. I want to go and see certain shows done exactly I'm how they've always been. This week. I can't exactly. wait. I cannot wait. I mean, I saw that years ago. I loved it. Absolutely blew me away. Of course, I'd like to go and see it the exact same way. Would I also like to go and see a revolutionary, weird, kind of strange, different take on it? Of course yeah. I would, but copyright gets in the way. But um <laughs> it does with musicals, unfortunately. But um but with plays, you've got a lot more freedom.
freedom and I think you know I think there's a space in the West End as well to be challenging and not just when it's the national bringing in something that's subsidised so they can be a bit braver the, the actual you know commercial theatre can be brave as well uh, t- t- Tony Meredith says just stumbled across the very last two tickets in the stores for the premiere of this play bought super excited 50th birthday celebrations Emma just bought my tickets to see Sir Anthony Bracer. I cannot wait it's working uh, thank you that's very much here, we hope here. you enjoy it alright thanks so, so much for coming to see thanks us you are very welcome Cheers. the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Last time we saw him, he was heading off to Glastonbury and didn't know any of the bands playing. Well, this hip young thing <laughs> is soon to be seen as Prince Charles in the highly anticipated Series 3 of The Crown, oh, which drops so good. this Sunday it's on so Netflix. Good. Please welcome a man that's bringing a right royal rumble to life. It's the majestic Josh O'Connor. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Welcome, morning. welcome. Let's give him a cheer. Here we go. There you go. Have a cheer on us. Oh, have you Incredible. seen all the episodes in series three of The Crown? I have, yeah. So have I. Yeah. Come I on. Know. We're the only two. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible high five from me. So no, 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 it's but... my fault. Let's go again. <laughs> okay, great. Yes. Oh, all right. Okay. So uh, you play Prince Charles, and you play him awfully well. Uh, Tash and I were watching your episodes last night. And we're saying, "How good is Josh in this? You are Prince Charles." <laughs> now um, you have to learn to speak Welsh because he did. How did that go? Yeah, sort of. Um, I mean, sort of terribly at first, obviously, because uh, it's like an entire different. You know, it's entirely different uh, logbook of sounds. Yeah. Um, but kind of weirdly, so in, in, in my first episode where I speak Welsh, one of my first scenes is doing these tongue twisters. And essentially that was a good practice for speaking Welsh. There's lots of ch and in the wrong places. Yeah, and um, the, the reason he had to, he had to learn to speak Welsh. So he's taken out of Cambridge, he was sent yeah. to where he was exiled to Wales really for a year. And he was, he was he, the people said, look, Wales is the Wales as a country is not going to buy you as the Prince of Wales. They don't like it anyway as an idea. But if you go there and you embrace the culture and you learn to speak Welsh and then you give your speech, your inaugural speech in as Welsh. the Prince of Wales in Wales in Welsh, then we might get away with it, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think and it was a kind of it's an incredibly difficult time for kind of Welsh nationalism was rife and there was a real really kind was. of strong sense that um here's here comes another Prince of or non-son of Wales yeah. coming and taking the Prince of Wales, um, and so it's kind of not very popular. And so this episode's kind of, I guess, Peter Morgan's sort of likening the sort of relationship between Charles and his family and Wales and the family of nations and being the forgotten child or whatever. So, um, so, so, you, how long did it take you to learn to speak? Because it's very impressive when you do it. Because he gave a live, he gave this live speech on TV, didn't he? And he was yeah. broadcast to the nation and basically the, the whole of Wales, to a, to a man, to a woman, to yeah. a boy, to a girl, uh, they, they were watching this speech going yeah. out live. Uh, and it was an incredible, it's an incredibly powerful image. And the footage that we kind of I watched time and time again um, is incredibly dramatic and powerful. Um, and so with sort of as we were kind of going along go, going along doing it we were we were conscious that we wanted it to kind of be this real spectacle but also that you know Charles wasn't wasn't that good at speaking Welsh so we didn't want to go too far but it took me about um about a month and a half to learn that that speech and kind of get it right. Well, it's absolutely um, brilliant. It's, it's, so, it's yeah. so, I mean, every single episode of the of the Crown series three, and every episode of series one and series two has been outstanding. Tell you as good as it can possibly be. But so. what I love about the, the the Crown generally, you know, is you can watch you can watch series three and one and two. You can watch them in any order you like because obviously they're chronological. But each one deals with basically a, a big yeah. issue of the day. So so the lunar landings is one. Yeah, that, they're that like dominates, standalone films yeah, in some ways about. Yeah. About 
parts of history. Yeah. You know, yeah, you have the the Heath government and the three-day week and yeah. Harold Wilson and yeah. Harold Wilson having to resign because of because of a, a early onset dementia, which I yeah. I was around I I was there at the time I can't remember that. Yeah, yeah. there's so much I kind of find it amazing. I watched series 1 and 2 and was mad fan of it. Um there's so much that you kind of I'm sure every household that watches The Crown spends so much time sort of pausing and then looking up on Google. <laughs> did that really happen? That's like, exactly did that what conversation I did. Happen? You loved yeah. it, didn't you, Rachel? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I love that part of it. You know, it's like a kind of uh, exciting history lesson, I guess. No, and honestly, I think you you are as good, you you couldn't have played Charles better, uh, but you are then surrounded by your Olivia Colmans, your Derek Jacobies, and <laughs> Gwen Dimmerdale. Yeah, and your Helena Bonham Carter, and your Charles Dances. What was the, What was it like? Yeah, it was the best what was thing it ever. Like? It was kind of extraordinary because they're also you know they're like. They're huge, kind of huge characters and huge stars and kind of idols to me. Um, and the most kind of incredible thing with Olivia, for instance, is that you do. She's the one of, as everyone knows, one of the nicest people you're ever likely to meet. And so, you'll do these kind of really big, gripping scenes about, you know, the conflict between mother and son, and then afterwards she'll just come and give you a big old hug. So it's quite a strange experience. Yeah, um, I mean, and also that we've got everything to look forward to. I mean, every episode is is gold from the start to the finish. But and you you have you have the um, the two handers with um, Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia yeah. Colman, Princess Margaret and uh, Queen Elizabeth. Incredible! Yeah. It's just it's so, quite epic. I mean, you know, nobody knows what was really said. Nobody knows if these scenes happened. You know, and I think I, the the one thing that makes me feel uncomfortable about the Crown, and you know, somebody's got to say, it, is that. I, you know, everybody, most, a lot of people in it are still around, and we mm. don't know that they said these things. And sometimes they didn't come no. close to saying these things or being in these situations. And other people may watch the crown thing, and it's a representation of the facts, and it's not. So what do we? Where do we? What do we say about that? Well, I think I think it's we have to always be conscious that we are we're part of a drama. It's a narrative, yeah. a fictional, it is fictional uh, representation. It? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, the kind of the his, actually, if you look at the, look back at the crown, all the kind of factual public events, like the, um, uh, I don't know, any weddings or kind yeah, of, or the or suicide crisis or whatever. Yeah. So they got, we know they're going on. They're the then, kind of background yeah, so to that, the drama, yeah. essentially. That's, that's a good way of saying. So, so, so the big events, the big sort of narrative arcs are real, but everything around it, uh, it's probably fiction. Yeah. It's just very well written and yeah. hugely convincing. That's the problem, I exactly. suppose, uh, the royal family have. Listen, thanks for being here, Josh. Thank you. Well Chris. done again. Another, thanks, another, you've got the, the Durrells and you get the crown as well. Yes. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, do the lottery. <laughs> do, do the Euro Millions this Friday. Okay, I'll do, tell me what numbers they are and I'll do the same ones. Uh, what are you up to next? Uh, I got, I'm doing season four right through to March. So it's kind of full on. With, look at, Luke, look at, look at the grin. Look at that. Look at him <laughs> yeah. beaming. I've got another best job in the world. <laughs> it is the best job in the world. Swapping Sorry. Corfu for, for this. Pretty great. Corfu for Camilla. Yeah. Corfu for Camilla. Yeah. Uh, that's My autobiography. A... Okay. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you. Well Thanks done. Me. All right. Once again, let me tell you the Crown Series 3. Um, it debuts on Netflix this Sunday, 17th of November. All episodes will be available via Sky Q. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His up close and personal autobiography, Behind the Mask, is out today. And here to tell us all about it is the people's champion himself. Except no imitations. It's a man without limitations the one and only tyson fury good morning tyson what a hell of a build-up how are you my friend i'm fantastic thank you very much we're on the 17th floor you're almost as tall as the 17th floor yeah not too far off what's it like to be six foot nine all the time 
absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I wouldn't change it at all, apart from bumping my head on doorways and most other things that are low. Yeah. All right, so um, first of all, uh, breaking news, you're doing something with Robbie Williams for Christmas. What the heck are you up to with Robbie? Yeah, we've got a Christmas single coming out. And, hey, um, hey. I think it's going to be fantastic. Well, how did this happen? You know, Robbie was at one of my fights in Las Vegas. Right. And he came came backstage to see me and he said to me, you're a bit of a singer, you sing after your fights. Would you like to do a Christmas song with me? I said, for sure. I'm a massive fan. And uh, we got hooked up and got it done. And it's going to be out in a couple of days. So this is Robbie Williams' first ever dedicated Christmas album. Where did you record it? What can you tell us about it? It was all a, a thing where we was trying to fit it in and I was supposed to come down to a studio in London to mm. record it, but I never had enough time. So what happened was they came to my living room at home, set up a studio all right. and I recorded <laughs> it at home, yeah. Tyson, I think I'm, I'm, I'm the sports reporter and I think you first came to my... I was trying to think when I was reading the book. I think you first came to my attention as you did many, many other people's when you turned up to that early press conference in, was it a green Lamborghini, full Batman costume and and then you know and you, and you look at the front cover of your book which I very much enjoyed by the way Thank and, you. and you know, this this photograph you looking quite scary I mean you obviously can and and you do and it's called behind the mask yes so this is presumably the mask on the cover of the book and the Batman costume that's all the mask is it yeah you know there's just two different sides to Tyson Fury there's Tyson Fury the the dad at home the father the husband the son there's Tyson Fury, the showman, the entertainer, the, the boxer. Total different people. Um, and all my life, I, I almost played a character in sports to, to be noticed, I suppose, and get to where I'm supposed to be going. Um, until I got lost in character, until I couldn't change from being a character that was playing to the real me. There was, a, there was a breaking point in my life where I knew if I was ever going to get back to normal after having breakdowns and suicidal thoughts and suffering mental health problems, that... I needed to get rid of the mask and just be me and show the real Tyson Fury, not an act. And now that's what I'm managing to do on a daily basis. And this is the real Tyson Fury that's walked into the studio this morning. There's no more acting anymore. It's all me. It's funny because it swallowed you up, didn't it? You know, because it was a character and you did, you did think, you did design your character, but then it took over you, didn't it? It did. I played a pantomime villain very well and... You know, I've read stories of actors acting in movies and they go in character and they can never get out of it. Yeah. You know, that this does happen quite a bit, actually. Uh, it may sound strange, but it does happen. And, yeah, I got lost in character and I couldn't find a way out. It's funny, isn't it? Because it happens a lot more in rock and roll, to be honest. I mean, you know, you hear these stories of, you know, I could name bands' names and they wouldn't mind me naming them because they've all written about it. Uh, but they go on stage and it's what they've dreamt about all, you know, all their lives, you know, from being a kid. And they get up there and they are rock gods for 90 minutes and, or a couple of hours or whatever. But then the lines get blurred, you know, and, and they begin to live that life. And that life is unsustainable. It's not dissimilar. 100% it's unsustainable anything in moderation is okay but when you're doing it every day forever then how long are you going to last tell us about the Tyson Fury at home then what sort of dad are you what plans have you got for Christmas yes I'm a uh, full time hands on father I take the kids to school in the morning get them up feed them breakfast pick them up from school when am I home this is um, I'll get up and do my jobs what I have to do around the house and get all my errands done what I have to do 
And yeah, it's uh, it's hard work. And, and how are you now mentally? Because you talk about it a lot in your book, and you're very open about it. And it, and put more people are talking about it nowadays. And it's obviously been a lot more prevalent than anybody's been comfortable enough to say over the last well, over the last you know few decades. You know, lots, millions, tens, hundreds of millions of people. How are how do you feel now? I feel fantastic, and it's only through education on the matter where I've really learned how to manage and maintain my mental health problems. You know, mental health just doesn't go away. I've not defeated mental health. Um, I believe that he'll always be there with me, and it's just a part of me now that I can control, where before I didn't know what I was experiencing. I'd suffered with depression, anxiety my whole life, but up until 2016, I never really understood it at all. I just thought I was having, like, bad mood swings or whatever, and... Now I understand and now I know what I have to do to to live a normal life. And I feel so much happier after I've had this breakdown now. I feel so much happier. I've got such a, a lust and a love for life where before I just wanted to die on a daily basis. Which is crazy, isn't it? Okay, because you achieve your dream, but That's all correct. you were left with was absolute sort of... Uh, self-pity and depression. So when you woke up the day after, before before the demons kicked in, the day after you, you became the undisputed champion of the world, um, what did that feel like? I was down straight away. Really? You know, was it w- instant? Within five or, five or six minutes after the fight, as soon as I went into the press conference, I was already on a, on a downward spiral for sure. Well, because that was it? That was it. I'd, I'd achieved my dreams. I'd climbed Everest. That was it. That was yeah, the yeah. be-all and end-all of my life. That was my whole purpose in, in being a boxer, and that was achieved, and I just didn't think there was any more I could achieve. But that's all turned around now, and you're, you're singing on a Christmas single with Robbie Williams. Yeah, Does it get so. any better than yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? Because you just need somebody to tell you on the show, say, somebody who's been there saying, OK, and, uh, the, the great danger here is called the paradise syndrome. You, you've reached paradise, now what do you do? That's what it's called. And you, you say, well, hang on a minute, this, this gets you into this whole other world, and it's brilliant. And you just needed somebody to tell you that, but now you seem to have discovered that for yourself. I think the most important thing, it's not achievements and fame and glory and money and all that sort of stuff, all material assets don't really mean a lot the most important thing is to be happy and find happiness and you know I was a very wealthy young man when I beat Klitschko I became the undisputed heavyweight king of the world in boxing you know very lucrative position to be in but it didn't mean a thing to me the achievements the acclaim the fame it meant nothing and I wanted to die on a daily basis so it's very important to to let people know that all this stuff and all the material assets it does not make anybody happy thank you for coming in Thank you. Happy Christmas to you and your family. And you. Take it easy. God bless. Fabulous Morecambe. Uh, Behind the mask, Tyson Fury. His autobiography is out now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Ben Miller chats his children's book, The Boy Who Made the World Disappear. Tim Minchin tells us about the new Sky original, Upright. And Jennifer Lee and Chris book, The Genius is Behind Frozen, talk about Frozen 2. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next?
Our next guest gave up a PhD in physics at Cambridge University to start a career as reliable as they come. A comedian. Turns out he made the right call. His latest children's book, The Boy Who Made the World Disappear, is out now and here to flick through its pages is the biggest and brightest proton in the nucleus of any atom. It's Ben Miller! Morning, Ben! <laughs> wow. Can I just say wow? What an introduction. That's fantastic. The what biggest, it? brightest... Pro Was it? The biggest... Pro pro Biggest prize is proton in the nucleus of any atom. Yeah, they don't radiate, but never mind. Oh. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> I Googled it, I Googled it. You missed out the technicality oh, there. Photon. photon we could have had. No. Photon. How come you know about all this stuff? Tell us what well, you did I did do a PhD in physics. Yeah, I did physics at university. I mean, it wasn't and just I... physics, was it? It was solid state physics. Solid state what physics. What the heck does that even mean? Well, what it means is that it's, like, it's the physics of matter. So it's uh, one. I mean, it's the physics that brings us all this wonderful electronics that's made such a huge difference to our lives. And it involved, the bit that I really loved was, you know, we have this mystical thing called quantum mechanics, which is the weird world of the very small. And when you start to get just a little bit bigger than quantum and you start to approach the uh, sort of everyday object size, you get this area called mesoscopic physics. So not in between microscopic quantum and macroscopic, our everyday world. And there you get the strange quantum behavior, but also you get some of the some of the, you know, the more regular behaviour that we see in the world around us. So that's a really fascinating area. And that is the area, really, that solid-state physics focuses on. Because things like transistor, they're spooky. You know, electronics, we all know, is a kind of... It's not... that This isn't the world that we live in. And it's using uh, features of the quantum world to produce these incredible effects in our own... Right, well. Tom, you still with us? That's what you still with. You're Greek as well, so you're quite clever. You should be, you're supposed to be anyway. I was hoping solid state physics just meant ice, which would have been quite convenient because we got the frozen lot on today. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that is the solid state. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, yeah, yeah. the whole thing about quantum mechanics, um, I had to interview uh, Professor Brian Cox recently at a literary festival, right? So it wasn't like this. It was a proper thing about... And so I had to, I had to speak <laughs> to him and with him about quantum mechanics. And it's like... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the easiest gig I've ever had, to be honest. I mean, I opened up with because you you speak his language. I opened up with how is the, how is the search for dark matter going? And he was quite happy with that. Yeah, that is a great. That I mean, it's still tricky. I mean, we still have no idea what it is, <laughs> or I if mean, it even exists. Yeah, or if they it even it exists. Wrong, they? Yeah, and uh, what we thought was dark matter for a long time, you know, then turned out to be dark energy. We know that something's pushing the universe apart faster than it should be going. That That's the dark energy. Is that entropy? Entropy is like entropy is disorder, basically. Right, so okay. we know entropy in the universe is always increasing. Right. So but the, the, but the physical size of the universe is increasing, and it's increasing faster than it should. Right. If you know, faster than we can, yeah, faster than we would predict. It is for kids, but I mean, I I thought it was. I thought it was a crack and read regardless, to be honest. It's called The Boy Who Made the World Disappear. Now, um, I don't know how much to give away or not to give away, so I'm going to leave it to you, actually, Ben. Um, it's, it's a lovely story. Um, do, do, we, do we talk about the party? Do we talk about Shelley? I think we talk about the party. Yes, yeah, so it's about a boy called Harrison. It's, it's sort of... My, my middle son is Harrison. I'm writing a story for each of my children. Right. right. So, so Harrison goes to a birthday party. Uh, he loses his temper at, at the birthday party. Because he has an issue with He has a temper. bit of an issue with uh, yeah, anger management. And basically, um, at the end of the party, when they're giving all the kids a balloon, they don't give Harrison a balloon. They give him a black hole on a piece of string. <laughs> and he takes his black hole home, and he realises that 
actually, this is fantastic. Anything he doesn't, anything that makes him cross, he can put it straight into the black hole. So in goes the broccoli, in goes next door neighbours, <laughs> snappy dog, in goes the entire, um, the entire beginner's swimming pool because he hates swimming, in goes his homework, in goes the school bully, and finally, in go his parents. And... <laughs> And then he sort of realises he's gone too far and he needs to find a way to get them out. And that's the adventure part of the last, the last part of the it's, story. It's a great book. Uh, by the way, kids, we're sorry about broccoli. Um, yeah. yeah. Can we just, as all grown-ups, <laughs> on behalf of all grown-ups, can we just apologise for broccoli? We didn't invent it. Um, we can only apologise. Because we used to get the same thing with Brussels sprouts at Christmas, but we foisted broccoli upon our kids every week. We have this issue every week in our house. And do you think it's because we f- we felt besmirched or by by Brussels sprouts as kids? I never had to do anything trickier than sort of peas, garden peas, when I was a kid. And we've yeah. we've brought in all these new vegetables, aubergines, broccoli. I mean, it's tough for kids. They've got a they've got a challenge. Well, it depends there. how long you cook it for. But um, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. And now, are you trying to tell Harrison something, your own son, th- via this book? Well, I did check it all out with Harrison. I mean, th- one of the things you know, when you're writing a story for your children, you don't want them to turn around when they're eighteen and sue you. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I did check it all through with but Harrison. But that's the only reason why. That's the only reason okay. why, yeah. So, you know, I need a war chest, I need strategy, I need, I need contracts. But I did read it through with him. I love to read the stories to my kids as I'm writing them so I get feedback from them, honest feedback yeah, in the yeah, case yeah. of Harrison. And I did take out anything he didn't like and I, I put a lot of things in about school that he wanted to, to include. So I think he's happy. I think he's... Happy with it? Can I just congratulate you on your on your <laughs> on your jacket photograph? Here? Well, thank because you. That's your writer's look. That's isn't my it? writer's look, Chris. It's a good so writer's look. Look at that. There you go, Ben Miller, the writer. For the listeners, I've got a, I've got a silk scarf on. Yes. I'm looking very serious. You're I'm staring awesome. into the middle distance, Chris. You look I, you like know. you look a bit like <laughs> Damien Lewis. <laughs> Don't you think he looks a bit squint? You look like you might have a pipe in your pocket. You know what I mean? Or he's just pleased to see me. You saying that doesn't look like me, Chris? No, I'm just saying it looks a bit like Damien Lewis. Is it if I go up yeah. here and you swim? Oh, wait a minute, Daniel Day Lewis. Look no, at no, that. we'll stick with Daniel yeah. Lewis. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and then mine. I'm pushing it. I'm you pushing take it. Tyler, would you? Surely. Come on. <laughs> thank you to Ben Miller. Thank you for being here, Ben. Thank you so much. Great Thank to you. see you again. Uh, this comedy firecracker, Ben Miller's latest children's novel, The Boy Who Made the World the Spit, is out now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Not content with being in the middle of a completely sold-out 35-date UK solo tour, he's also produced, co-wrote, composed for and stars in the new Sky original, Upright. How on earth does he find the time? He tinkles the ivories, he'll tickle your pink. It's the exceptional True Blue, Tim Minchin. Good morning, Woo-hoo. Tim. Welcome, welcome. Hello. All right. Okay, very well. Thank That's you so much. Good. Uh, for being here now. Um, can you beat quarter past three, arriving in London at quarter past three, because that's when Tom got here. What about you? Well, um, I was on stage at the Hammersmith until late last night and then I had to do my four hours of coming down off that and then I went to sleep at 2.30. I didn't do what Tom did, but I think I'm in the venue he was in last night, tonight. I'm right. going to Birmingham straight after this oh, show. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks so much <laughs> yeah. for bothering to get up. So you do... You do, have, you do have oh, it's a... an honour, Chris. No, it's no, but seriously, I, I'm not sure I would. Uh, but uh, then you are on to plug your brilliant new TV show, which I've seen the first... Most of us have seen the first episode, mm. and I thought Rachel's seen the first episode. She's watched all eight. 
God bless her. It's brilliant. It, it really is brilliant. Okay, it's called Upright, and it's on your. You can see it a week on Thursday on the 28th of November, 10 p.m. Sky Atlantic. All episodes will be available straight away. Um, it's this this brand new Sky original, and it, your character, um, your character is the ELO, uh, the dead ELO cellist to um, to your co-stars um, characters, Rolling Hay Bale. Yeah, I go, that, 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 I understand what you said yeah, just then. I know, then. I know, I know. Nobody else will. No, that's right. Yeah, my character's called Lucky, and he's a very sort of grumpy, slightly, you, you, he's got a big chip on his he's shoulder. Damaged but, yeah, as well, you're it? just not quite sure why. And he has, in the first few minutes, a car accident with an incredibly sweary little superhero runaway teenager. And it's, it's a really fun setup, but actually, by the end of the first episode, you're not quite sure what's going on, and, yeah. it, and it plays out over eight half hours and you, you don't really know why he's driving a piano across the desert until the final episode. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not about what's going on, it's about why what's going yeah, on. Yeah, and know? it all plays out in flashbacks and it's kind of funny but it'll make you cry as well. Is that right, Rachel? Yeah, I think cry. I cried quite a few times. I also belly laughed a lot and it's just there we the go. beautiful imagery because you've got that huge vast spaces of Australia yeah. and just some gorgeous shots from above. Like there's that one shot where you're both, you both lie on the road. Yeah. She lies oh, down saying great. she can listen and there's just a great shot from above and then you just start laughing at the end it's yeah. proper oh, brilliant. properly affecting so we've got to get people to watch this program because it because it is so good all right so so it, it there is a there is a very big what and there is a very big why uh, but you have lots of differences of opinion but you're like-minded which is i think that's the what's really interesting about the two characters so you're different but you're like-minded um and i i think you'll end up agreeing both of your characters will end up agreeing on most things but the one thing you don't agree on at all in the in, in the opening episode is uh, things happen for, everything happens for a reason she thinks. Yeah. And your character c- couldn't disagree more. Yeah, so she early on, after we've had this car accident, and like all good setups of stories, there's an intersection that could have not happened, but it happened. And she's mulling over this and going, you know, if I had just brushed my teeth for a bit longer or whatever this morning, I wouldn't have crashed into you. And she says everything happens for a reason, which is that old canard that people drop, which I always want to go. And Lucky eventually says, it's the opposite of that. Nothing happens for a reason or everything happens for no reason. But he goes on a big monologue about the chances of a hay bale rolling down a hill and crushing someone in a car. And, uh, and the whole show over the eight episodes plays around with these themes of destiny and stuff and concludes, I guess, that things don't happen for a reason. But when you look back on them from far enough away, you can make sense of them. Did, did the... Did a cellist from a very well-known band really get hit by a hate band? Yeah, that was how that was how Mike died. Yeah, I, I didn't know that in Devon. Yeah, you love Yellow. You I should did, know. I this. know. I, that's what I. That's because I. That's why I thought. Yeah, that. Uh, I'll, for the listeners, early in Upright, um, Lucky tells a story by way of explaining how life. This is a true story and an incredibly sad story, and I. Um, the, the, I hope it, the show honours him, but Mike Edwards, who was a founding member of ELO, got killed in a car accident when one of those huge uh, circular hay bales just sort of got, went, went rogue. And, and, and the, the, the mathematical odds of dying like that are obviously infinitesimal, but Lucky explains that they're almost inevitable because what he concludes is in a, in a world where the numbers are big enough, which they are, one in a million things happen all the time. One in a trillion things happen all the time. That they have to just by virtue of the size of the maths. And so, and, and so, using Mike and that that very sad death, he sort of says, "Well, if there's 
meaning, then that that's crazy. Like, why? What sort of, you know, greater force would make someone die by a hay bale? You know, but uh, but uh, but as the show goes on, the the meaning that these two bring to each other and to each other's quite difficult pasts kind of transcends that whole conversation. <laughs> uh, so you're back in Australia, but you're living back in yeah, Australia. Yeah, living in Sydney. You've done a yo- hokey coke with Australia over your life, haven't you? Well, I. I grew up in Perth and then moved to Melbourne and then moved to London, where I lived here for eight years. You were born here, though? Born in Northampton, but to Australian parents. My dad was over studying. Okay, so no, I'm, I'm an Aussie, really. Where did you work in Australia? <laughs> I worked in Sydney, what yeah. What did you do? I did a film called Razzle Dazzle, uh, oh, yeah. directed by an Australian director called Darren Ashton, right. uh, which is fantastic. It's like kind of about... They have these pageants in Australia. We don't have, They don't have them anywhere else in the world where um, loads of young kids take part in these da- dance competitions and thousands of people across Australia go and see these yeah. shows. Yeah, uh, Steadfords, yeah. But I, mean, I guess the roots is in the Welsh... I yeah, Stafford, yeah right? that's right. Yeah. And uh, so it was a sort of parody. It was kind of like a spinal tap, but about the Australian I Stedfords. And I played a like a, a sort of mental dance choreographer who was sort of uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it really. Bust, did you have to bust yeah, some moves? Yeah, I bust. I busted you, some moves. Can you still, I was can you still do the moves? John O'Connell, the sort of very famous Australian uh, dance choreographer who did uh, Moulin Rouge and other sort of. He trained me to do just enough moves to get away with. Really? Like the tiny fractions of time did that I had to do Did you have a dance dancing. double, though? I didn't have a... No, no, no I didn't. You did it all yourself? No, I did it all myself, yeah. It's really hard. Well, dancing? Dancing is really, <laughs> really difficult. That's my next career move. Yeah. <laughs> going to dance. Okay, good. Uh, thank you, Tim, for being here. Tim Minchin. Gorgeous to see you, as always. Thank you very much for having me. Good luck in Birmingham tonight. And if you're going to see him, you lucky duckies in Birmingham tonight. Tim Minchin continues his sell-out UK tour. And his brand-new Sky Original Series, Upright, which we'll talk about more um, a week on Thursday when it finally airs. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Let's just say this. If you've watched an animated film in the last 25 years, our next guest have probably had something to do with it. Ahead of the surefire hit, uh, Frozen 2, being released next Friday. Please welcome the Ice Cool director, Chris Buck, and Chief Creative Officer of Walt Disney Animation Studios, Jennifer Lee. Good morning, you two genii. <laughs> How are you both? We're doing well. <laughs> We're good. We're happy to be here. So you're on a whistle-stop um, tour of planet Earth we to are. tell people about Frozen 2. <laughs> That's what we're doing. All right, let's 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 first of all pick up from uh, where Frozen left off. So six years ago, Frozen, uh, 1.3 billion dollars and counting. Is it cash still coming in? It must be, I suppose, mustn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't, they don't let us. I don't really money. know. We where, don't know. <laughs> what, you you gave yourself 18 month an 18 month break from the franchise, and then you, you what was the first day back at work like? Um, four and a half years ago now. First of all, Chris. First day back at work. <laughs> well, we did a short. We did a short called Frozen Fever, and uh, that kind of got us excited again about the characters because we weren't planning on doing another sequel right away or and at all at all, <laughs> or at all. <laughs> or at all. <laughs> and then we saw the characters they're being animated uh, again and we saw them come to life and we looked at each other and we went oh, i miss i miss these guys and we miss the world and the whole thing so that's when we started really seriously thinking about trying to do another one okay so h- how does that process begin well, it, it begins very naively, I think, is what I've realized. We uh, we knew there were all these questions. Why does Elsa have powers? Why doesn't Anna? What happened to the parents? We were getting a lot of people asking us, and we were like, oh, that sounds exciting. Let's do a lot of research. Let's just play. This will be fun. We'll have more time. 
Um, and then we literally, I think, got lost <laughs> in the woods ourselves many times. Um, and it was an incredible experience, but it, it certainly, I think, uh, pushed us um, further than we ever have gone really, before honestly. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was a tough, tough one to crack. Chris, did you, did you have a, a sort of timescale in mind? Because it, it's taken four and a half years. Um, did you think it was going to be? Four? Oh, they all take about four, four Do to they? five years. Is that what they are? All the animated movies. Almost everyone I've worked on takes wow. about that. Yeah. Right, well, this one over here, um, your target audience, uh, three kids, okay, um, and she loves it. She can't cry three times. You want to see it on Tuesday? Want to see it on Tuesday. Tuesday, okay. Come well, on then. These are the people responsible for it. On the edge of my seat. I absolutely loved it. I was so worried that it wouldn't live up to the original because I went to see the original one. My eldest was in reception, so he was five, and I remember taking him. He's now 10, going on 11, and... I've just loved it for the last six years and I just thought, you know, can it really live up to the genius that the first one was? And I think it's even better. Oh, well, I cried you. three times on the edge of my seat with tension. The the water ho- horse that Elsa <laughs> rides is just the most beautiful sequence. Olaf is still incredibly funny when he does his like 60 second mashup explainer of how we got here. <laughs> and even Kristoff's sort of 90s boy band ballad. <laughs> like, there's so much in it. It's just brilliant. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, we're, we're it was, was a... Um, it's it's been a crazy ride. It's exciting because now, I mean, three weeks ago we just finished it. So to hear that the world's seeing it, there's a lot of butterflies. It's it's funny too. I mean, it's great to hear that it's better than the first one. But we also say, what was wrong with the first one? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's such an artist's reaction, though, isn't it? So the insecurity yeah. comes out, of course. But what's great about it? What I really appreciated was that Anna. When she's helped by Kristoff, it's not that she's some helpless girl who needs a handsome man to fix everything for her. He helps her because he's part of her team. And there is that very strong energy between her and her sister. And it's very much the two of them sorting it out. And yes, other people are involved in that. But there's a lot of sort of girl power message in this, even down to the clothes they're wearing. And was there a lot of chat about that in the production? Well, it was very practical, though, to say. I mean, last film, they were fleeing their kingdom in absolutely the wrong clothes because they were on the run. Uh, and but they're going to Enchanted Forest. They've got. They know they have huge obstacles. They're going to wear pants. I yeah. mean, they're going to wear trousers. They're not, not going to be doing. Gun. Oh, excuse me, and lifting their skirts. So that was that was a big thing. But but thank you. You know, I think for us. Um, with the first film, we didn't know if people wanted to watch a film about sisters, two sisters. Um, and we got a lot of pushback even back then. People forget, but, you know, it was a, it was, it was a little more like, who, who wants to see this? And then thanks to the way people have embraced it with this one, we really got to, to you know, um, double down on that relationship. We're really proud of these two women. I think they blow us away in what they're capable of, things we didn't even know. And when you've had a massive hit, like Let It Go, from the first one, how much pressure is there to write something like Into the Unknown for the second one? There's no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. Oh, my God. Absolutely not. No, I mean, a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves, it's in the story room. And every movie, you know, we just, we we work and work and work and work those movies to try to make them as great as they can be. And there's a very sort of modern message in it in that it's not the traditional evil villain character. That what they're scared of, it's their fear of the unknown, yeah. which yeah. is a very sort of modern interpretation, isn't it? That's what we liked, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the first one, it was uh, the theme, basically love versus fear. Uh, but that was sort of it, through the lens of being different. And now this one is still the same. It's love versus fear, but it's through the lens of change because all the characters go through some change, even Olaf. All right, so we'll, Frozen 3, 
<laughs> Come on, it's always about t- today's always about tomorrow in the entertainment business. Um, uh, how long are you going to, a year and a half again? Or what? <laughs> we, I will, for us, this feels pretty complete. I think we haven't thought past that last shot. We're very stoked where the characters end up. One and two feel like one big journey. We are exhausted. We hope the world likes it. So we'll, we'll go from there. Can I say you have this sense of, this air of relief about you both. Oh, yeah. I've, I've never seen, I've never. It's very me, true. Never oh, seen yeah. two guests that yeah. you look, you look like you're so relieved. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is well, it is out of our hands now, so. Yeah. No, I mean, they each, they each are a marathon. There is no doubt about but it. But you look like you're just at the last step, step of the marathon. And this interview and a couple more, we go, can we just get over the line? I just want to. Go home. It's just, it is so hard to explain. I had no idea. It is such hard work and it is so granular and detailed. Everything, every pixel, every surface of every tree is discussed and deconstructed. It is an incredible process. Thank you guys for being here. Great to see you both. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Forget not the nine o'clock news and alas, Smith and Jones. Our next guest has really hit the big time, having a snow gritter named after him. Soon to be seen in the sensational musical How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Please welcome the marvelously merry Grit. Ri- sorry, Griff Reese Jones. Yes, yeah. Grit Reese Jones. Oh, Gritter Reese Jones. Yes. Hi, Griff. I'm all right. I'm, I'm just saying that stuff. You've got that piece of information which came to me as a bit of a shock. Well, the Gritter news. The Gritter news. But you know, you're not. The first, you're not the first gritter critter, really. Yeah, there's Brad Grit, is there? There's Gritty Gritty Bang Bang, there's Gritter Thunberg. No, there's not yet, but there should be. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. Um, anyway, you could have done with the snow plow to get through London this morning. I understand. Okay, boys, one of those sad things. When they say, you know, they say, I say the Labour government at the moment say we'll work a four day week. So, people like us, I'm not working an extra day for the Labour government. I uh... <laughs> We come in, you know, and we do that sort of uh, that thing of going, wow, it's like this all the time, every morning. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock for me. Yeah, I came in from central London and, yeah. and through central London, crowded with good people. Yeah, no, it was yeah. crazy. So uh, it seems like the Grinch may have gotten to you, actually. Uh, the Grinch <laughs> the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, 20th to the 24th of November at the Motorpont uh, Arena in Cardiff and 10th of December to the 5th of Jan at the Lowry in Salford. Good production, big production, and you get to sing. I get, well... That's just one of the reasons I did it. Yeah, but you're not Grinching, are you? You don't play the Grinch. No, I don't know. No, no. Uh, Edward Baker did. He's very, very good indeed. But I get to play a dog, and it's a little bit worrying when you get to my <laughs> age, is the number of parts that become available. I've played, you see, I've played a, I've played a toad, and I've played a dog. But uh, you wonder, worry whether there are any human parts left for people over a certain age. But it's great. So I play old Max the dog who sort of narrates the whole right. thing. Okay, good. And it's been... And the thing, and I, last year I sang in... I was in uh, Christmas Carol at the Lyric and I did a lot of singing there. But that, that, made, me, that made me quite <laughs> confident about singing. I'm still a little bit unconfident but because I thought with both these shows that it was one of those shows where it, I was the narrator but, you know, you stood with a book in front of you and now yes. I realise that I had to learn the part. Run yeah, around, sing say. and dance, which is a little bit more than I was expecting. Yeah, I tell you, that, though, let me say this Come about on. musicals. This is what's great. And what's great, unbelievable, <laughs> Fagin, is if you're in a play and you're listening to people cough for an entire evening. That, well, I haven't done a lot of that, but listening to them laugh. They give you a round of applause, a huge round of applause, of course, at the end, the very end. Yeah. If you're in a musical, you, go, you sing the first song, the audience goes wild. 
and you think, oh, this is fun. You don't have to sort of, you know, it sort of buoys you up and off you go and you have a great time. So they meet you in the middle, if not further than yeah. that. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's wonderful. All right, we're going to talk about the Grinch and the story of the Grinch. Uh, did, were you aware of the story before you before you well, signed no, up for this? Well, I mean, I was aware of Dr. Seuss and his extraordinary... So, so the answer is no. So, no. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's not... I wondered whether it was as much of a sort of uh, a British... Uh, uh, story for people, you know, as it is in in the states, oh, no, because it's a very, it was a cartoon in the states. Yeah, well, the, the Jim Carrey movie is massive. Yeah. I mean, our kids watch it two or three times a year. Well, exactly. We love it. It's I, a bit long, actually. To be honest, the, the movie's a little bit long, uh, but it's so watchable. Oh my! Is it? Because the, there's huge redemption at the end. There is. It? Although, have you noticed it has? Oh, I must be careful what I say here. It has a similar story, of course, to Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge. To Scrooge. It's, Scrooge is, it's uh, somebody who hates Christmas it's who finds It's the same story. Story. It's the same it's story. It's a similar idea. <laughs> but, but, uh, but we like that story. So it's a different take on that story with a big green monster running around and uh, a very funny green monster. And what's the, it's very adult. And there are lots of sort of clever jokes in it as well. You love this. We were talking to, uh, to, to James McAvoy about the thing he's in at the moment and you could see the sparkle in his eye. You've got the same sparkle in your eye. You're happy about this, aren't you? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I can't for, wait. I've got, I'm going on stage in the Motor Point Arena in Cardiff, which yeah. I went to have a look at, which is sort of like a... It's like what do you mean you went to have ring. a look at? You, just, what, well, you look, had a bit of time no, on they your hands? They, they took me over to meet, to meet the Welsh media. Oh, right, I see. <laughs> that's different then. OK, that's different. Okay. You didn't just go drive up the, what is it, the M3, is it? Oh. M4. Yeah. Is the M4 yeah. all the way? Yeah, because yeah, no, I've, I've done darts there. Yeah, but there's been big dart stuff at the Motor Point Arena Cardiff. But as I was commentating on the darts, I thought this would be a perfect place for a Christmas show with Griffrey's Jones. Did you? And I'm... so it came to pass. <laughs> oh, you must have said 180! <laughs> <laughs> now, if, if they'd have shown you the Motor Point Arena last night and introduced to the Welsh press last night, you'd have been able to see um, Liam Gallagher play because he played there last uh, night. Of course. Too. He's, well, been, I mean, he's warming it up for you. It's a, it's a rock and roll venue, and we will need to do a little bit of sort of, you know, rock and roll performing. How, I hope. How big a production is it? They're big. Is it, mass- is it oh, massive? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got a big sort of uh, wonderful chorus of girls and boys who sort of uh, sing and dance and jump around. And uh, and then uh, my uh, my younger self is played by Matt Terry. Do you know Matt? He was... Uh, was he X-Factor? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so he's... Uh, so I watch him. Luckily, the joke continuously is that Matt does handstands and, and peculiar dance movements, which the older dog... Can't have you ever do. been able to do that? Because you're quite you're quite fit, aren't you? You've always been fit. Handstands. Yeah. Have you ever? Can, yeah. What? I don't been, think so. My wife can do a handstand. Can really? You, can you do a handstand, Vassas? I'm getting there. Are you? Well, so yes or yeah. no? So yes or no? Not you yet. Cannot, so no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hang on a minute. I can't do one yet either. <laughs> Isn't the yet so much I'm more for, optimistic? I mean, my seventy fifth birthday. That's what I'm aiming for. Not yet. Let's try it again. Um, can you do a handstand, Vassas? I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep the yet. Not yet. <laughs> you can't have the yet. It's just a no. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dave, Dave, who are we talking to? What do a former Yugoslavian mother, Brexit and the secret back streets of London have in common? Well, according to our next guest, Christmas. Woo-hoo! His new movie, Last Christmas, is out in cinemas this Friday. And here to deck the halls with bowels of jolly is the cinematic Santa Claus himself, director extraordinaire, Paul Feig. Good morning, hello, hello, Paul. Hello. How hello. are you today? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. It's 
the morning after the premiere the night before. Tell us about that. You know what? It was great. We were out at uh, the BFI, right on the Thames. Uh, had a great time. Everybody showed up, the whole cast and everybody. Okay. And Kylie Minogue showed up. My friend Kylie came too. So uh, it was great having everybody out there. Okay. It was the boss there, Emma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Emma was there. Dame Emma. Dame yeah. Emma Thompson. She all was right. there in all her royal purple. So tell us about, about, about you and she and uh, this whole project. When did when did you first hear about uh, a, a script potentially and uh, an Emma Thompson, Dame Emma Thompson pen script called Last Christmas? Yeah, about a year and a half ago she sent it to me. We were supposed to do a movie called uh, Late Night. Right. I was supposed to direct that with her, but then it, the schedules didn't work out. Well, we became very friendly when we were getting that together and said, we have to work on something. We love each other. And then she sent me this script out of the blue. She'd been working on it for about eight years, uh, developing it. And uh, it was just so great. I had to do it. Okay. All right. So, so what happened next? Uh, then I said, I'm in. And then we took it to Universal Studios and they wanted to do it. And then we were suddenly in production. I mean, it was very, very fast. I read it in probably last July and we were shooting by the beginning of December. Okay. Now I haven't seen it. The team have seen it. So I don't know how much snow is in it. What's the, <laughs> what's, it's very important for a Christmas yes. movie. Tell us about the snow factor. Uh, only at the end. There's only snow at the end uh, because <laughs> we don't see snow anymore in London. It takes place in London on all the best looking locations here. We shot on like Regent Street and Covent Garden and Piccadilly Circus. We, we, we did it all in the middle of the night too. It was freezing cold. Who's in the movie and what do they get up to? Uh, Amelia Clark is in the movie, Henry Golding, uh, Dame Emma Thompson, uh, and Michelle Yeoh, who normally is kicking ass, but now this time she's really funny. Uh, and it's a great story. It's, it's really about uh, Amelia Clark's character is this woman who's just, her life is a mess and she's just doing all the wrong things. And then she meets Henry Golding, who's this handsome, a positive guy, and he takes an interest in her and they kind of fix each other's lives. All right, so, so you have Dame Emma Thompson, you have the script, you have yourself, uh, you know, uh, you're all tried, tested, trusted, uh, you're, you're all geniuses. Then you bring in George Michael and you bring in Wham and a whole truckload of musical talent yeah. and you get all that together and you have to respect the legacy, especially of George Michael, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And, and so how do the songs, how, how do they, because I, again, I haven't seen them, I'm going to see it, how, how do they sort of filter in and out of the movie? What's well, what I, I call a soundtrack to your life movie. It's how you, if you have a favourite artist and favourite songs, yeah, yeah. when things happen in your life, yeah. a song either comes into your head or you hear a song, it keys something in your brain and that's kind of how I face this. It's like, I don't want the songs to kind of illustrate like the lyrics like she's walking down the street, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But you go like, oh, this is kind of what she would be thinking in this moment or oh, this really reflects what her mood is and did it that way. And then there's a couple of places where they actually interact with the songs. There's one where they kind of sing it to each other, sing Heal the Pain to each other. We have a, a church version, a hymn version of Heal oh, the Pain oh, this that we start good. the movie with. It's gorgeous. This is good. So yeah. so actors singing on film. Yes. All right. Okay. A couple uh, of times. Yeah, a couple of times. Now, they did this in the recent film um, that we went to see, Judy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, which is unbelievable Rene Selvager is uh, have you seen it oh no I haven't seen oh. it but our producer who produced oh, this mate. also produced that so. it is unbelievable and so she sings and she sings and she sings and she's an amazing singer is Rene Selvager yeah uh, but obviously what she's done is she's lip synced to her own studio recordings for yeah. most of the film and then at the end to change the 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 power of, of the the the, the, the Mm. The relationship with the audience, they take the the audio from the soundstage and oh, it's incredible. Really? How did you do yours? Well, we did, because uh, uh, Amelia Clark sings in this and she sings at the end of the movie, she sings a uh, kind of a Ronette's version of Last Christmas. It's really beautiful. And she sang it live. You know, I mean, what we did is you 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 record it in the studio just in case their voice goes out or if yeah, you yeah, do it a million times, yeah, they start yeah. to lose their voice. But no, she sang it live. We actually had it oh, on camera. Yeah, yeah. And then then certain shots, we, we would trade it in and out, but it just depended what 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 you know point we were at
that. And where where are you based? Uh, I'm everywhere. I mean, I, I'm L.A., New York, but London. We're actually we. I think we're moving to London. I just got I just got a five year uh, extraordinary talent visa. From the British government. <laughs> so I'm one of you. I'm one of you, my That's friends. Like, Thank what, you so much. What are you going to do with that five years? Oh, I don't know. Work at Tesco or something. Anything slated next? Anything uh, next? Yeah, I, I wrote my next movie. I'm just waiting to hear if the studio is going to let me do it. But it's a, it's a monster movie. So. Right. Now, can we talk about that review? It's yeah. Up, it's up to you. It's up to you. Bring it on. Okay. So so you tell the story. You tell it. You, well, you set it up. Look, here's the thing. You, you make a, a romantic comedy and a Christmas movie. Some critics are very hostile to this genre yeah, for some reason. Some some movie critics are just miserable. They are kind of, they <laughs> And are their least favorite bit. time of the year is Christmas. <laughs> right. They might as well be screwed. There you go. But here's the thing. Look, I've, I've been very treated very well by the critics in general because they like my movies. This is just one that I think it's, it's just a genre they don't like. So, um, yeah, Rolling Stone really went after us with a one-star review. Um, but look, I like to say it only took one star to bring the wise men to Jesus. Okay. There you go. Well, we do we have do we have his we have Paul's repost, don't we? Okay, so this, so you tweeted Rolling Stone on Twitter, didn't you? Yes. Okay, and, and this is this is what he said. <laughs> As a lifelong Rolling Stone reader, I sincerely thank you for your opinion. We can't win everybody over, but we will continue to try. I swear all of our hearts were in the right place. Can our one star at least be a really, really big star? Beautiful. And a bunch of emojis. And uh, i got to tell you, um, I didn't watch The Holiday for years. To yeah. my shame, by the way, to my shame. See? Because it had a one star review and I read the one star review. Yeah. And I watched it last year and I thought it was fantastic. And then I checked the box office and it's $205 million in counting. Yeah. Also, Love Actually got terrible reviews when it Did came it out. Really? I can't remember. Yeah. That, it's, look, we don't want to hide behind that. It's just... there. It's... When it's something's really kind of crowd pleasing and sweet, it yeah, just yeah. kind of you know they're this touches this time of year. I think the critics are looking for you know the, the they're Irishman. tired. They want a week off. They want to get to Barbados as quick as they can. <laughs> exactly. All right, Paul. Lovely to meet you. It's you too, Chris. Thank. You. I've been a fan ever since the Big oh, Breakfast. Thank you so I much. I miss the Big Breakfast. Well, um, it's lovely to meet you. <laughs> you too. Please come and see us again. Thanks for having me. All right, Thanks, Paul Fag. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast. Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.